Are you having trouble finding hand sanitizer? Well, Spa Treat has you covered. There's no need to go searching high and low. Just visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and place your order on their easy-to-use website. On schedule delivery. One of the great things about this product, Spa Treat Fulfillment Team is working around the clock to provide people hand sanitizer during this time of need and get your order to you as quickly as possible, even faster than Amazon. Spa Treat also has the lowest price of any of its competitors. Spa Treat has 62% alcohol content and the FDA recommends between 60 to 80 for maximum protection. This one has 62 because it doesn't dry your hands out. I use this stuff every single day. It is fantastic. It's got certified organic extracts with the ingredients in that hand sanitizer that are of the highest quality and they're designed to leave your hands smelling and feeling fresh while protecting you at the same time. The best part, there's no tricky residue left over. None. None of that sticky stuff. Four scents available, unscented, tea tree, lavender, and lemon. And best of all, this product right here is made in the good old United States of America. A lot of companies are having trouble dealing with the current demands, so Spa Treat has dedicated themselves to providing a much-needed product in the time of crisis. Spa Treat has better prices, faster shipping, and a larger supply than any of their competition. There isn't even a close second. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and enter promo code SPA SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. That's right. Not only are they offering the lowest price available, but they're also offering our listeners a discount. This promo code is exclusive to Voice America and only our listeners get this discount. Spa Tree and Voice America came together on this sponsorship in order to provide Americans something they could really need right now. Peace of mind. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and order yours today. That's SpaTreatOfficial.com and make sure you use the promo code SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. SpaTreatOfficial.com. Get your awesome hand sanitizer. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. E equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another wonderful episode of Finding Your Frequency. I am your host for the day, Ryan Treasure, and we got a great radio show for you guys today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, for those of you that may be your first time listening to Finding Your Frequency, we're all over the podcast space. You can find us on your smart speakers on Amazon, Google Home, Sonos, and then, of course, anywhere that podcasts are available. Uh, and we, we drop new episodes weekly, mini ones uh, throughout the week. And then our main uh, episodes come out Fridays at noon Pacific time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And we've got a great show today. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some legal, some uh, mergers and acquisitions, some taxes, uh, some different things. Because as you guys all know, uh, we are working through what, what I'm calling is uh, the new normal as everybody's working from home and uh businesses are trying to make decisions uh, about how they're going to bring their employees back into the fold, uh, whether it be continuing with working from home or uh, bringing people back to the office. I know that uh, our staff here at the Voice America Talk Radio Networks are targeting June 1st for bringing our people back in the building. Uh, and of course, I've been trying to requisition all sorts of uh, sanitary wipes and masks and gloves and all of those things that people will want when they come back to, to the office. And of course, uh, you know, if you guys 
or in an office were staggering cubicles, uh, staggering working spaces for those folks to be able to be uh, socially distant. And so kind of an update for you guys. Uh, we've been doing some great radio shows here on Voice America. We continue to bring you guys some of the finest talk radio programming in all of the land right here on Voice America throughout the COVID-19. So, you know, if you're sitting at home and you have uh, some downtime or want a little background audio, uh, definitely tune into the live content on the five Voice America channels. Uh, today, we're going to talk to a fantastic guest. His name is Trevor Crow. He is the founder of Crow Legal LLC and advises closely held entities regarding M&A, securities, tax, and general business transactions. Trevor, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. Thanks. Glad to be here. Hey, I know uh, I know how you lawyers are. You're not charging me by the hour for this interview, are you? I just turned off the clock. Lucky. <laughs> you know, I think something that we can talk about later, too, because, um, you know, I always always love having the conversation around value-based pricing with professional services folks. So something we can touch on a little bit later on in the episode. But uh, definitely, uh, Trevor, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you found your frequency in life and in business. And what made you decide to, you know, wake up and say, I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm going to do M&A and securities. <laughs> well, that is a it's a long story, but I'll I'll get into it. I'll I'll shorten it here a little bit so it's it's palatable to the audience. But you know, I got out. I a Colorado guy, so I'm my firm is located here in Denver, and I grew up just south of Denver, and then went to CU Boulder for undergrad with a business degree, and then you know I st- I did a couple things. Worked um, always thought about going to law school, but never. Did you know when I was graduating undergrad, I didn't want to go right back into school, so I did a couple other things. Um, I actually got involved with um, in a partnership on, or in a restaurant um, for a while under a management contract, which ended up going bad, and we had to hire a lawyer to help help uh, go through arbitration on that deal. And so, you know, I was working with a lawyer there, and I saw what the lawyer was getting paid, and and I thought, you know, I could probably do this, and it just and I had thought about law school before that, and so it, that led me to to go and and uh, sign up for law school, which I did, and I went to DU Law School here in Denver, and um, you know, I I graduated law school in two thousand nine, and so it's kind of similar to now, uh, honestly, as I as I think back at current law school students that are graduating, you know, it's a bad economy to be, to be graduating law school. You know, the downturn was going on in 2009 and the firm that I was supposed to go work for, which I had just worked at doing transactional stuff as a law clerk, uh, called me and they, well, initially they said, you know, go take the bar and then call us after the bar and we'll get you started. And I studied for the bar and, and took the bar and then I called them and I said, Hey, I'm ready to, ready to go. And they said, well, we actually don't have a job for you anymore. Um, and this is cause you know, it's 2009, economy is, is in the dumps and, you know, everybody was getting laid off. You know, they basically said, we don't have enough work to fill our associates plates that we have here right now. And so we can't bring you on. And so I did a number of things, worked for a judge, um, did, you know, uh, on contract. And uh, then ultimately they, that firm called me back and said, Hey, you know, if you want to come work and do litigation for us, then that sound, then, then we, we could use your help there, but there's just no transactions going on. And so, went back, did, uh, did litigation for them for a while and realized I just didn't like litigation. And mainly it was, it was dealing with the other attorneys. That was such a, such a hassle, um, discovery disputes and disclosure of information and all that was just, it, I just didn't enjoy it. 
Um, I, I really enjoyed the transactional side and putting deals together. And so anyway, I, I kind of was working myself uh, through that firm and was doing some litigation and, and getting into some of the transactional work and ended up bouncing around to a couple firms in Denver. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, about two years in, I started to do just straight transactional work, um, corporate uh, M&A deals and, and securities work, raising money for companies uh, and putting out all the documentation together for that. And that's what I just really enjoyed. And so I, uh, coming out of law school in 2009, you learn something that I think you don't learn if you come out in a, in a good economy environment. And it's that from a service perspective, you either, you either work for somebody who has business or you have your own business. And that there's just, that's the only two options. You, you gotta have your own book of business or you work for somebody who does. And I realized that, you know, although I think we are really good at what we do at my firm and especially in the transactions that we do, you know, there's just, there's other lawyers in town who do the same work. Um, and I, you know, I, I, again, I think we're unique and I think we have a, a good value proposition, but there's just other people who do it. And so without the book of business, you're kind of, um, subject to somebody else's whims. And the firm that I was at m most previously before I started my firm was a, a, a mainly a real estate firm. And so I was kind of the corporate guy at a real estate firm and I wasn't, uh, you know, a lot of the clients weren't mine. And so ultimately I, I had enough confidence that I could go out and, and start my own firm and, and do well and thought that I would be able to, you know, develop clients and I could run just a, a corporate M&A and, and securities firm. And um, it's been, that was February of 2018 when I started and it's been great ever since. Now, <laughs> this whole COVID environment has changed things a little bit and kind of slowed transactions down a bit, but um, I still think, I'm still optimistic on things turning around and the ability to, uh, you know, run a firm and, and still develop clients. And so that's where I'm at. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. What a what a unique kind of perspective that you have, you know, kind of starting your law career in 2009 with the economy the way that it is and then going off and, uh, you know, finding your frequency. You know, that's what we talk about a lot here on the show is, you know, people who decide, you know what, I don't want to work for somebody else. I want to work for myself. I want to I want to be able to build my own book of business like you were speaking to and, you know, making that transition in 2018. And then two years later, whammo, COVID-19. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, I and I the way I I think about it because I was just when I first came out, you know, I was really worried about oh well, when's the next deal come? Because as a transactional lawyer, you know, you just it's not like a, a CPA who has a clients that have to do their taxes every year. You know, my clients may do a transaction, they may raise some money this year, they may not next year, or they may do an M and A deal uh, this year, and they may not next year. Or or if I represent a seller in an M and A deal, you know, they're they're off to retirement and, and it's, you know, I got to, when's the, where's the next deal coming? You know, it was always a question. And I had just started to get comfortable that, that there would always be another deal coming. Uh, you know, cause in the beginning I was wondering, always wondering, you know, once we finish this one, is there going to be another one on, on the, you know, coming down the pipeline? And uh, it took me a while to get comfortable with Yeah. Yeah. There will be. And it seems to work out. Um, I don't have a, I don't know exactly how it always works out, but it seems to work out. And, uh, you know, I was just getting comfortable with that. And then this hit and now I started to reevaluate that. But I, I still I'm still optimistic. Like I said, I think it's there's there's work to be done and, and it, it may be different work, but you just got to go out and get get whatever it is. You know, we may be doing more amendments to leases and loan forbearance agreements and things like that. But 
uh, you just got to be adaptable. And, 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 you know, my firm now I think is a lot more adaptable than it, than I ever was at any other of the, the mid-sized firms that I was practicing at before this. Yeah, I like the term that you use adaptable because I think there's, you know, a lot of businesses who are operating. And as you heard me in the opening of the show, talk about the new normal. You know, we have uh, technology companies that are pivoting hardcore towards, uh, you know, new technologies like Industry 4.0 and automated factories and, uh, you know, robot repairmen instead of using humans and putting them in, uh, you know, in, in hazardous spaces. And you have a whole lot of this shift in industry also i think that um as 2020 continues down the road and people become a little bit more comfortable with you know getting back on the horse so to speak um you're going to start to see a lot of manufacturing jobs come back to the united states and um i think with you know some of those those things you're going to see a a higher turn in mergers and acquisitions as well as some of the larger corporations like 3m you know start gobbling up some smaller corporations um do you kind of see that on the horizon too for what you guys are doing in the legal realm of you know kind of you know working on you know those types of deals more than uh capital raises or such uh, as you rub your crystal ball and look into the future yeah well i think there might be a little bit of both and you know some of this is industry specific too you know some some industries are getting hit hard with this and some industries are are doing well you know if you think about the uh um you, you know, some industries are, are getting hit hard and some of them are doing, doing okay. You know, obviously things like companies like Zoom are, are doing great, but the, you know, from a, what's going to be out there standpoint, I think there are going to be companies that find themselves low on funds um, because of they've had to weather the storm here a little bit. And so they can, you know, maybe the PPP funds run out um, from, they, they've got a PPP loan and then the, their funds run out. And so then they're thinking, well, what's the next, um, and so we may need to raise money. And I think, you know, at that point, you know, the issue is, well, what's the valuation now? Uh, and can you do, you know, are we going to have a down round where, you know, we just raised money at a $5 million valuation or $10 million valuation. And, and now the best valuation we can get is, you know, 3 million or yeah. 7 million, you know, so we have a down round. And, and so what can we do there? I think, I think some companies are going to issue, there's going to be more convertible note type deals where, companies are going to raise money through a convertible note where we don't have to come up with a valuation. It just says, Hey, you lend us this money now. And when we go out and raise a larger round of financing, you'll convert at the same valuation that those new investors come in at um, maybe with a discount or something like that. And so I think valuation is a huge issue. And so that's going to be um, something where companies are raising money, probably using things like convertible notes because valuation is tough to come come by. On the M&A side, I think that you're right. There's going to be some strategic buyers out there who, who see this market as, a t- if they have cash, you know, if they have dry powder ready to, to put to work, they're going to see this environment as, hey, this is the time where we can come in and gobble up some of these yeah. companies at a lower price than we would have got, you know, in a great economy. And so we might be able to go out and, and be buyers right now. And I think that's I think that's going to happen. If I had to, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, if to make a prediction, I would think that that is going to be a big thing here. Um, strategic buyers, as well as some companies that maybe were looking to sell, um, may be worried about their valuation and, and become buyers again to kind of do another bolt-on acquisition and, and try to sell, you know, three years from now. So uh, you could see that with private equity type backed companies as well. I think we got to stop for just a second and talk about an awesome product. 
And when I say awesome product, I mean awesome because I just used it. I used it yesterday. I used it every other day. I'm bald and I know having a good set of razor blades is amazing. And now is not the time to overpay for razors at the drugstore. Harry knows sometimes it's better to stay inside. That's why they ship directly to you so you can experience the quality of a Harry shave in just a few days from the convenience of your own home. What I really love about it are their shave gels, the low prices. It's just amazing. Join the 10 million people who have tried Harry's and claim your special trial offer by going to harrys.com forward slash frequency. That's harrys.com forward slash frequency. And why Harry's, you ask? Because it's awesome. I'm a bald guy, like I said before, and I know razors. And I know this product. It's fantastic. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just two bucks a blade. That's right, two bucks. They've cut out middlemen. They have a great German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century. That means you get a high-quality blade at factory direct prices. You can feel good about your purchase, 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know. They'll give you a refund. And 1% of the proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide access to better health care for men and veterans. You guys know Finding a Frequency. We love to support the veterans. Exclusive offer for listeners of Finding Your Frequency. Listeners of this show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com forward slash frequency. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to help keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razors dry and easy to grab on the go when it's time to do it. Go to harrys.com forward slash frequency and start shaving better today. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I see a, a proliferation in the industry globally for, you know, products like CBD and and some of those things, too, where you have, you know, these small mom and pop businesses who have their own, you know, whether it be a, a small footprint, uh, you know, industrial space where they're putting together their products, you know, whether it be lip balms or salves or whatever, you know, CBD is used for. But, you know, I, I think about these larger companies, you know, um, you know, like like Oil of Olay or, you know, L'Oreal or some of these other companies that are already making lotion and some of those things. I see like I see a huge shift uh, in that space, in the naturopathic space of some of those large companies who already have the back-end industrial infrastructure to, you know, create those products. I see a lot of them uh, gobbling up mom-and-pop CBD shops, uh, especially in the next five years. Yeah, I think, you know, CBD, that CBD space is, hasn't been one that I've kind of marketed to or, or trying to go, go out and get more business uh, in. But, you know, we've that industry is, I, I think, totally the next one that's ready for kind of a roll up like that because you know we, we even without going out and marketing ourselves as somebody who works with CBD companies we have probably four CBD company clients and that's mm -hmm. just because they've called us because they're looking for counsel and um, you know I, I think a lot of those are set up as the mom and pop type uh, companies and and yeah there there's but they're still doing well just because the industry is doing well and and you know most of them are are smart people that are putting these businesses together and I think yeah I could definitely see some of the larger companies getting into that space and and they can do it a lot cheaper by acquiring as opposed to trying to yeah. set up their own you know uh, setting it up themselves within their company probably yeah I've been looking at that space for a little while because I'm like I'm like I'm, I'm prime for a stock buy somewhere 
<laughs> you know, I'm like I know there's money to be made without you know actually getting you know into the you know the the daily efforts of that industry. I'm thinking I'm like, all right, which which large company is going to start gobbling up small ones, and which stock do I need to buy so that way I can you know maybe find the next Amazon stock, right? Like, which is everybody's uh, everybody's want when it comes to the stock market. Let's find the next Amazon, right? <laughs> That's right. So um, I, I saw that you're also a professor at uh, the law college that you went to. Tell us a little bit about what you do uh, in that space as a professor. I know it's got to be uh, a really cool feeling to be able to go back to where you went to school and provide some counsel and services back towards uh, the other students that are kind of uh, taking the same path that you went. Yeah, no, that's that has been a lot of fun. And that's, you know, I, DU, I teach a class called Taxation and Business Entities. And it's one of those ones where I look at the law school now at DU and I, and I wish I was going to law school now as opposed to, not, not necessarily uh, having to go back and do everything over again, but I, I wish the courses and the things and the uh, things that they have now were available when I was in law school because, you know, when I was there, it was mainly like most law schools, it was focused on litigation and reading court cases and reading precedent and understanding the rules of civil procedure, which are all great you know, things that you have to know if you want to uh, be in court or if you want to do, you know, whether it's criminal or civil litigation, you get, you have to know those things and the rules of evidence and that's, and those were all required courses that everybody has to take, but there was very little transactional, you know, if anybody who wanted to be a business transactional attorney, there was very little, um, very few courses on, on those topics. And so now that's totally changed. There's, they have a, entrepreneurial law clinic. They have um, a lot of different adjunct professors that come in and teach on uh, transactional issues. So it's really, it's, I've been happy to help move the law school in that direction for those students who are interested in doing, uh, you know, business transactional type law. And so, yeah, I teach taxation of business entities and it's really, (laughs) you know, honestly, I have a lot of fun with it, but I always joke that it's kind of a, a recipe for disaster because it's, we're trying to take a, it's taking a, a course, creating a one course uh, overview of the taxation of both of corporations, either both C and S corporations, as well as partnership taxation, which is what most LLCs and partnerships, you know, are, are tax under. And those three tax regimes could be, you know, each of them could be a four or five credit course in themselves easily and we're trying to teach all three of them in in one course and so it's really just a high level overview but i think it it you know ha- half the battle in in anything is being able to spot the issues and so uh, that's the idea behind it is that students can come out of that the class and spot certain tax issues that they may have when they're setting up different entities and um, if they don't know the answer they can go find the answer because at least they know that there might be an issue <laughs> Yeah, no, and I think it's cool that uh, you guys are kind of focused on like a 360 degree holistic uh, kind of approach to to law because, you know, I think the majority of people when they think about going to law school or 
uh, or being a lawyer, that's kind of what, you know, they see, you know, I, I always picture like law and order, you know, and you see the people litigating in court yeah. about, you know, this, that or the other. And and I think there's a lot of misconception probably in the standard community of, uh, you know, the differences in lawyers and in law practice and taxation and, and what you do versus, you know, somebody who's a prosecutor or defense attorney trying to get, you know, either either trying to get Joe to go to jail or trying to keep Joe out of jail, which depends on which side of the aisle you're on, whether you're the prosecutor or the defense. And uh, it's really cool to kind of hear about some of these business pieces as it relates to law, because I think a lot of people, especially when, you know, you are an entrepreneur and you're going to go start your own business and you're going to create that, you know, uh, LLC and making decision. Are you a, a sole proprietor LLC? Are you going to have a partner? How does that work? Um, I think there's there's a lot of value in having individuals available for that type of, of entity because I think even more now with uh, the with the proliferation of the gig economy quote unquote and a lot of people kind of working for themselves um, them understanding the importance of setting up an LLC even if it's just them that's doing the work um, is extremely important from an entrepreneurial standpoint to be able to protect your assets. Right. Yeah. To be able to protect your assets. And it's, it's not, I think the issue, part of the, the thing now with the, the way the secretaries of state for most states work is it's pretty easy to form these entities. And, and so in Colorado, for example, filing a, a, the articles of organization to form an LLC in Colorado is simple. Anybody could do it um, very easily. Whereas in the past, that used to be something that was a, a black box where you had to call an attorney for. Now anybody can go online and do it and form it and pay their $50 and they have it. Um, but that's only half the story. You know, you gotta, you have to actually operate it as a separate business too. So you have to, you know, get a bank account for that for that um, entity, you have to make sure that you don't mix your personal funds with your uh, business funds, and vice versa, and 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 that sort of thing. That's what gives you the limited liability protection. And so, yeah, there's there's definitely um, th those sort of issues we deal with every day in and day out. And and yeah, even you know, as a, for the gig economy and people like that who are running very small businesses themselves. Uh, it's important to think about those and 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 make sure you're complying with the the rules there to not only just form the entity but also uh, treat it as an entity. Yeah, and not to mention just the inherent form of protection that the limited liability gives you because you know let's say you you know you're 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 a gig economy maybe you're a freelance uh, you know graphic designer or something like that and you make a mistake on a project and you know your large company your large client decides to sue you for whatever reason it's you know extremely important that they can't get to your uh, your personal assets and should only be able to go after the assets that you have uh, accumulated as a business or as a sole proprietor and that's Space. And I think a lot of people who are working in the gig gig economy specifically, they I think they don't think about that. They don't think about, you know, that they're out there um, and there could be some legal repercussions in the event of a bad business dealing or, you know, uh, a, a gig going the wrong way. Right. Yeah. No, that that's a very good point. And and yeah, I have a feeling. And, the, you know, the problem with that is that uh, those are the same people who are probably not going to may not call a lawyer because they're they're worried about price and with you know is, is a valid concern because there is costs associated with this um with dealing with lawyers usually and uh so yeah that uh, i agree but it, it's it's one of those things where you you can pay now or you can pay later a lot of times yeah. <laughs> that was gonna be my next point <laughs> pay a couple thousand bucks now or pay a few tens of thousands later right <laughs> right <laughs> 
You know, um, I want to talk about like the deal, right? A, lo- a lot of people, they watch uh, TV shows like the Shark Tank, right? And you have, uh, you know, these these investors that are sitting there and they're, uh, you know, these businesses are kind of pitching their idea and they're like, all right, yeah, well, we'll come in at this money and at this percentage. And, you know, those are the type of deals that you 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 like to get involved with, right? From a, from a law perspective, because um, you've got to have an evaluation, uh, know what that business is worth. So you're buying in. How do you, how do you go through that process? process just walk us through that because I think um, I think from a from a listener standpoint that's probably some of the most uh, interesting topics especially when you know you have those TV shows like Shark Tank and you're kind of seeing those different dealings but what you don't see on Shark Tank is you know they might have that you know uh, what you see on television piece but there's a whole other component of you know the art of the deal and what's happening from a legal perspective so kind of kind of walk us through how some of that works with an evaluation how do you how do you get to that valuation so that way you know that um, you know what you're worth when you go out and try to do a capital raise or bring somebody in who's going to invest mm-hmm. yeah so that's it's a great question and it's a it's a one where my answer is not always the most satisfying because part of it is it's more of an art than a science there's not you know it depends where the company's at is is the is a big uh, caveat to it because you know if you have a pre-revenue company so for example or, or a company that's losing money you can't run a discounted cash flow model or one of those sort of um, typical valuation models that you learn in in when you're getting your MBA or when somebody's getting their MBA I, don't, I do not have an MBA but you know you don't you don't get you can't run those models and come up with a valuation. So a lot of it is. Oh, you mean I can't go, oh, I, I do a million dollars a year in revenue times five years. So my valuation is five million bucks. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that because a lot of these companies are either just losing money or very low or, or no revenue companies. And that doesn't mean that they're not, you know, worth anything. I mean, hell, you have, have companies like Twitter and Facebook and all those who had huge valuations before they even were profitable. And so, um, Trevor, I think that's an important point too, right? There's a big difference between revenue and profitability. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. So <laughs> profitability, they, they had revenue, but they weren't profitable, but even before they were, they turned on any revenue streams. A lot of times, you know, they had, they still had big valuations and that happens all the time with companies who are pre-revenue, that are building a product and just testing it in the market. And, and so what people look at at that point is, you know, from a tip, typical venture capitalist type l- looking at, at where am I, am I going to invest in the deal? What they're looking for is what is the, the total mar- market size? So what is the potential of this company? If they can produce, execute on the, the business plan and they can create this product that they're, that they want to create and they're, you know, and they can see the vision. If they can do that, where what is the total market at that time you know can this be a a company that has you know 500 million dollars in revenue at some point or not um and so they they look at that and then they look at the team and they say is this team can this team execute on this plan and if they ha- if you have both of those you know you have a huge market and they think that the team is um is can execute on the plan then the question is it becomes less evaluation it's more of how much of the company do we want to give up for this money and so so at that point we kind of back into valuation so if i'm representing a company in that situation um you know we're, we're going to say hey you know you you have this this company if you want to raise two million dollars what do you think 
that's worth. Or let, let's just say, um, you know, you're gonna you're gonna raise you're gonna raise five, two million dollars, and and so if you want to say you're gonna give up twenty percent of the company for that two million dollars, then you're saying you have currently an eight million dollar valuation and a ten million dollar post money valuation. So after you receive that two million dollars of funding you have the $8 million valuation plus the $2 million in the bank. And so now you have a $10 million total valuation. Um, and then, and so that's kind of, you know, honestly, we're just backing into this number. We're talking to founders and saying, hey, well, how much of the company are you willing to give up to raise this amount of money? Um, and so, and, and a lot of times though, it depends on who's making the offer too, because a typical VC, company will, they'll be the one to make the offer. So they have a meeting with the, found, the founders and they get the pitch on, on what, the, what the company is and what it does and where it's going. And, you know, in that pitch, the, the company will typically say, you know, here's what we're looking to raise and why, you know, we need this amount of money to make, you know, five hires and do X, Y, and Z in marketing and to, you know, get our product to the next stage. And the VC will will say, okay, that's great. And then they'll come back. If they like the company, they'll come back with a term sheet. And in that term sheet, they will put in a valuation um, in there. And then the company can either accept or um, reject or re- try to renegotiate what what that is. And so, you know, a lot of times these valuations, I, I guess the point of the story is a lot of times these valuations are just picking numbers out of the air based on what what percentage you, these the, the founders want to give up um, in exchange for the money. Yeah, and I think too, a lot of times, you know, thinking about business and uh, the company that I work for, we were publicly traded at one time. Uh, and then and then we, we took the internet radio division private back in 2009, which was, you know, one of the best things for us because uh, working for a, like a publicly traded company was, was, uh, was a little weird because they were, uh, you know, focused on their intellectual property strategy and not so much a, a revenue and profit generation uh, uh, section. So it was, it was, it was weird. So it was all, it was good when we went private because not having to worry about, you know, uh, uh, board of directors who don't know a, a darn thing about internet talk radio, making decisions right. for internet talk radio. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think in the space that you're talking about too, when, you know, a VC wants to, you know, uh, invest in the company too. And you, you, you have the, the person who started the company. A lot of times that person who started the company is reaching out to the VC, not just for money, but they've come to a, like an apex for themselves, right? They, they have a good product. They, they've, they've, you know, created something that's great, but maybe they're not the best business person, right? And they need, they need help there. Um, when you see those term sheets, do, does that come into play sometimes too, where the VC is offering, you know, maybe a lower, a lower cash, but um, some additional physical resources for that person to get over the hump that they're trying to, accomplish for their growth? Yeah, I think that's becoming more more and more the case nowadays since there's been, you know, I think in the past there was just a few VCs that funded, you know, early stage companies. And so you, they had, they made all the rules. Now there's a lot more of them out there. And so companies, at least companies that are hot companies that can, you know, go out and get term sheets from several venture capital firms, they can they're going to look not only at the money um, and the percentage they're giving up, but also what what else can these guys bring to the table? Do they have do they have good connections? Do they have you know good um, you know other resources that they can come? Or is the person that they're going to put on the board? Because usually when they make an investment, they're going to demand a board seat. Um, and is the person on the that they're going to put on the board somebody that we want to work with? You know, all those come into play. 
Um, you know, and, and one other thing I would say about to back up on these valuations, because a lot of the deals that we work on are not, I mean, very few companies get VC funding for one. It's, you know, less than 1% of people who say they want to get it actually get VC funding. So a lot of the securities offerings we do is just with angel investors or friends and family rounds where they're raising money. And so they're usually, um, instead of the VCs putting out the term sheet like they always do, you know, a lot of times if we're going out to angels or friends and family, we're, we're putting out this term sheet as, you know, representing the company. And um, a lot of times, you know, the valuation is not as important as I think some people think because, you know, at the end of the day, there's not, if you're going to uh, invest in a company and it's, the, the idea is either this company is going to fail and it's going to be a zero or it's going to hit it huge. Then, you know, if it hits it huge, your valuation, whether you own, you know, um, 15% or 20% of, or, or really it's probably going to be less once they have more rounds. So at the end of the day, you know, um, after they've had more rounds and, and you've potentially been diluted, you know, are you going to, you're going to own a few percentages one direction or the other um, depending on the valuation that you initially get and it's not going to lead to too much um, difference in you know your ultimate cash out uh, on this entity and so people usually are less worried about about it because they know it's either going to be a zero or it's going to be a a big number and everybody's going to be happy at the end of it anyway. Well thanks for shedding some light on that particular subject Uh, I think that you know that People are, are always asking questions in, in those spaces. And, you know, I want to shift gears just a little bit. And, um, you know, as we're about 35 minutes into our conversation, you know, I want to talk about what, you know, what you're seeing in a business standpoint with, uh, you know, with all the shutdowns and COVID-19 and, you know, the economy being the way that it is. I know, I think the last I read, there was, you know, something like over 30 million Americans that were without jobs. And, you know, here in Arizona, uh, this week, we just kind of started opening back up with phase one and, you know, limited uh, limited access to restaurants and dining with, you know, only half capacity and those types of things, which have been kind of cool. Even though I, uh, I actually went to a restaurant uh, over the weekend for the first time in, I don't know, like three months. And, oh, wow. Uh, That's it, great. It was awesome. I, I had I had a, a whole new, I think, respect for going out and eating. You know, it was one of those things about, you know, my wife and daughter, they've been, you know, stacked up in the house since like late February, early March, something like that when they when they closed the schools down. And so my wife's been working from home and my poor kiddo, who's only six years old, is, you know, going stir crazy at the house. They're doing, you know couple hours of schoolwork a day, which wasn't the same as, you know, going to school where you have all of that schoolwork spread out with uh, art class and PE and, mm-hmm. you know, recess and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, big kudos to my wife for managing that. And now, you know, uh, the school year is over and, you know, you, you start thinking about, you know, all these different pieces. And, you know, for me, I go, wow, there's going to be so many people that, you know, God, they still have to work from home. Like there's no childcare, there's no anything that's going on. Um, and all of that impacts the economy. And I'm sure that you've probably seen some impact on your side as well with, you know, maybe less transactions that you're working on. Um, but just kind of, you know, uh, put your finger in the air and feel which direction the wind is coming from. And, and what are you guys seeing in your space with um, some of the trans- transactional elements during the whole COVID stuff. Yeah. Well, let me say that I, I feel you on that, the family thing here. I have a six and an eight year old and we've been, my wife and I have been both working from home and taking turns trying to teach through this learning online 
thing and it's uh this is their last week of school and you know i'll be um i'll be glad when it's over but at the same time you know camps are closed yeah you know we had we had camps lined up and and the first we just actually got an email today about a camp that's closed and so that's you know that's going to lead to more working from home or trying to figure out other options um but you know from a trans business transactional side you know we had three we had probably four we had four m a deals that were in different uh stages of the process in the beginning of march i mean things were going great we were we were ready to go and three of them died and right away you know as soon as things all of a sudden hit hit and started to get crazy really quickly and uh you know these stay-at-home orders came out in colorado you know just the uncertainty of it all caused three of those deals to die uh at the time they said well we're, we're putting them on hold um, but it turns out that th- that meant they, they've died. At least <laughs> in forever. my mind, yeah, they may they may come back. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I would have think would have thought that they might be there would be word or, or more talk about it by now. If so, and when I've reached out, there's just been been nothing. So um, one of those deals ended up closing still, uh, and that deal was kind of far enough down the road, and we had really just all we had to do was, you know, wire money and, and close it, which ended up closing. And it was really, a, there was a regulatory issue that had to, we had to pass. And that was the only thing that was outstanding. You know, it was basically a done deal other than we had to wait 30 days um, to get regulatory approval. And so that once that was happened, it, it closed and that one had closed in the beginning of April. And so, you know, since then there's just been a ton of uncertainty and I feel like people aren't doing deals. And so what we've been doing mainly is, you know, we've had a couple um, securities offerings where we, like I mentioned, I think before about convertible notes, one of them is a convertible note deal that we were working what, on. For what are com- what are convertible notes? Explain that. I don't think our audience knows what that is. Okay. So convertible, you know, when you go out and you want to raise, a company wants to raise money by issuing, you know, equity in its, in the company, there you could get, you know, straight debt, which isn't equity. Um, you know, you go get a bank loan or a loan from a private lender, that's one way to bring in money, right? Uh, the other way is to, if you're, say, if you're a corporation, you would issue stock in your corporation to somebody in exchange for money. Um, you know, you could issue preferred stock or common stock, whatever, and that would be issuing equity in exchange for money. Or if you're an LLC, you might issue membership interests in your LLC in exchange for money. And so those are all securities. Um, in, in general, those are all securities, and so you got to comply with the securities rules. Um, one one form of of offering is called a convertible note and it's kind of a combination between debt and equity in that it starts off as a, as debt and basically you know investors come in they give co- the company money and the note has a maturity date usually you know two or uh, one to two to three years and it's kind of like bridge financing in that it's you're paying the money the investors putting in the money now into the company and at the end of the term, the company can either will either have to pay back that money plus interest, like it was a normal loan, or a, an event may happen in between now and in that maturity date where it converts into equity, and so um, it will become. So, let's say it's a corporation, it's it's that loan will be converted into stock in the corporation at whatever um, whatever valuation that other investors come in at a later date. So usually it's it's a company will issue convertible note when it says, hey, we need some money now. We're probably gonna raise a big round um, from either VCs or from a, a bunch of angel angel investors later, you know, probably a year or two years from now. 
And so, but for now we just need some money to get us through that, this period of time. And so we'll take in money through a convertible note. And then when we go and we raise money from a VC or some sophisticated investor, the money that you put in through this note will convert to whatever equity they get. And, and you can kind of you know rely on the fact that this is a sophisticated investor who's coming in later and it's gonna do some due diligence and it's gonna put a valuation on the company and you're gonna get to come in at the same price as them, probably with a discount. You know, We may give you a 10% discount on whatever price they're coming in at. And so that's what your, your money will convert into equity and then the company doesn't have to pay back the money as if it was dead, it just now has has issued more equity in the company. And so that's, uh, hopefully that's, that yeah, and enough I, think it's, I think it's pretty smart, too, from an investment standpoint, too, if you have a convertible note. It's like, so um, I can get in now with X amount of dollars, um, but then when I get my return on my investment, it could be on a higher valuation three years from now. Right, right. Yeah, yeah you could you could convert at some valuation and then you may get um, in, then if the company keeps its value going higher and higher in the future, then yeah, you got, you bought in at a, a, at a lower valuation and now you're getting in at a, at a higher or getting paid out at a higher valuation. Hey, that's like capitalism, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Buy low, sell high. (laughs) Right. Right. And so, um, you know, back to the, just the economy now, I mean, I think there's going to be more of that probably. Um, but really our M and a transactions have, have been slow. And I, I just really in the past week, I mean, today's, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but today's uh, May 20th and the, um, b- before this, the, this week and, and the, and the last week is when we started getting more calls. Honestly, we were we were pretty slow this whole time until um, last week. Like I said, at the end of last week, we got a couple calls. We got a couple more calls this week. So um, I my sense is that things are going to start picking up. Um, I think it's going to be uh, slower. As I mentioned in the beginning, I think the work might be a little bit different uh, on what we're dealing with. But I do have a, a optimistic sense that things are going to start getting back to um, uh, you know, more, more business than we've been doing the, the past month and a half, at least. I sure hope so. Um, you know, we, we kind of experienced some similar stuff here with us. I mean, as you know, we, we do uh, live internet talk radio and we have sponsors and advertisers and, you know, um, a lot of our sponsors and advertisers just kind of did the same thing as your, your M and a deals. It was like, Hey, we're going to pause on some <laughs> of this right now. Cause you know, we are we're uncertain. And then, you know, some of the states are starting to open back up and people are going back and I'm reaching out to those guys and saying, hey, what happened to that uh, sponsorship money that you guys were looking at spending back in March and April? And, you know, you said, let's talk in May and June. And here we are halfway through May and I haven't heard anything from you. And they're going, oh, yeah, we're still on pause. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's been challenging, I think, for a lot of businesses in that respect. And I think because of that uh, possible lack of business that may be happening, they, there, there could be the, um, you know, some some of those companies are probably going to be looking for funding later on this year. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's going to be it. It's going to be tight, you know, for people the, in, in any sort of down economy. I think conserving cash is, is huge. And so if when to, to weather the storm basically and and if you can't weather the storm otherwise it may be the only options may be to um, go out and, and raise equity or raise money through issuing equity because mm-hmm. you know that the banks especially after they release so many funds for this PPP loan a lot of them are going to be low on funds to be uh, to be making loans you know I've already heard that there's going to be a kind of a heard that there's talk of a cash crunch coming up based on the fact that a lot of banks have extended a lot of funds for PPP loans and now they 
um, don't have a ton of yeah. of um, liquidity to be loaning to do normal loans. So bank, you know, normal lines of credit and bank loans may be hard to get. Well, yeah, and I think the PPP too, especially um, there's some you know certain instances where you know the PPP is you know could could turn into a grant for certain companies depending on how they use the money. And I know that a lot of companies who did get PPP, like that stuff's not going to last forever. I mean, it was only, you know, kind of a, let me help you out for the next couple of months. Uh, and I mm-hmm. think that, you know, if you look at, if you look at statistics from like, let's say the Spanish flu back in like 1918 or whatever it was, you know, we're kind of in the same precipice that happened, you know, all those hundred years ago with, you know, here we are in, in, in May and in June, and we're going to have our hotter months where we'll have, you know, less of those COVID-19 cases, but what happens in the fall, right? Because I think Mm -hmm. in the fall that PPP money is going to be gone and there's going to be, I think a, a whole, a whole other twist come fall time where a lot of companies are going to either fail or they're going to be looking for funding or they're going to get big, get bought out because they don't know what to do. And I think the uncertainty in, in all industry and in all market spaces is in a place where it seems extremely fragile, even though that people are starting to open up the economy. I, I still feel like it's, I still feel like it's a porcelain egg, you know? Yeah, no, I, I get that sense too. It's, it's tough because yeah. And, and that's what, that's the uncertainty you know that's this uncertainty piece that everybody that kind of freezes everybody and uh yeah if 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 this thing comes back and and we have another wave of of outbreak of covid in the fall then it could send the everything back down into the dumps and and i'm i'm hoping that doesn't happen but you know it's definitely a possibility that we need we need to consider yeah and i think um a piece of advice and i hope you'll agree with me for any business or even personal person like save on to that cash right cash is king uh you know streamline your operations reduce your overhead you know anything that you can do to you know keep the lifeblood of your business or even your personal uh your personal life uh in check is to make sure that you're not overtly spending or 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 those types of things because who knows what's gonna what's gonna happen in the fall what who knows what's gonna happen in in 2021 in in the early part of uh, january february of, of 2021 we could be right back where we are now agreed yeah conserving cash is huge unless i would have one caveat unless you're deciding whether to fund your marketing expense for finding your frequency uh, then, then you would go ahead and, and make that payment. Yeah, send that over to uh, Voice America. We'll care of Ryan Treasure. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, no. It's it, the point. The, the I think it's an interesting question too, because as everybody pulls back and stops spending, you know, I think making it's a good time to take a look at your operations and say, hey, where where are we overweight? You know, where are we spending more money than we need to on, you know, unfortunately on employees. Um, on you know maybe software or things that you have that you don't use or um, memberships or subscriptions that aren't aren't used um, where where can you reduce you know maybe off the amount of office space you have or get lower lease prices and things like that like those are all huge things to to, um, to reduce and take a look at now at the same time I, I am I've done you know more on marketing recently because I think now's the time to to actually spend on some marketing stuff um, also to keep because that's the lifeblood of of your business a lot of times and how you keep things coming in the door and so uh, I think if there's one area where you may want to to add on to it, it might be the marketing area um, 
whereas the other overhead expenses certainly slash and cut as much as you can. Um, but if you know if you're going to slash marketing and that's going to uh, result in less less revenue or less business coming in the door, then that doesn't help you. Yeah. So my neighbor works for Intel right uh, here. Intel's a, a big employer here in the Phoenix area. They have a I don't know six million square foot campus they call it right and you know i was talking to him yesterday and they they've been making plans you know before it was like let's make our campus as big as it possibly can so we can house all these people and you know we're gonna have food courts and you know all these amenities for employees and now they've completely changed their entire outlook on the way that they're managing employees and you know i think you'll probably start to see a a huge shift in work at home employees uh telecommuting uh you know I was thinking about that too, like, you know, for, for any business, you know, if you have a, a, a space of cubicles and, you know, people are just commuting back and forth to go from their car to their cubicle to back home. It's like, what can you not do at home uh, that you're, you know, what that you're doing in a cubicle now? Can you not do that at home? Uh, you know, which in, thus in and of itself is going to, you know, make your footprint smaller maybe your you're the building you need to acquire is less uh you have less uh, overhead when it comes to you know electricity especially here in arizona in the summertime you have a a building full of 50 employees and you know you got to keep the dang thing 77 degrees to keep everybody happy and the next thing you know you got thousands and thousands of dollars of uh, electric bill because you're trying to keep everything air conditioned versus you know maybe you have a smaller space more people are working from home and you know you're not necessarily dealing with some of the overhead that relates with the employees being in the office and then of course you get um, I think some sometimes enhanced productivity and I think that's what a lot of employers are really focusing on now is you know if my if my people are home um, are they still as effective at home as they were when they were at the at the office yeah no I think that's that's a huge huge question in my mind and I'm sure a lot of people have done you know especially bigger companies have done studies on this and and, and looked into it more I mean I feel like I can be uh, just as productive at, at home uh, most of the time it depends you know what's going on with the kids but the that I think that's a huge question and, and if, if yeah if everybody can be just as productive at home yeah. then why are we spending so much money on on this office space yeah that that's a hundred percent I was telling my wife yesterday I was like you know what I can get done between 6 a.m and 8 a.m in the morning if I'm at home do you know how much stuff I can get done before the kids start bugging me for breakfast <laughs> or whatever the case may be. I'm like, I'm like that, that from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. That's like the golden hour of working from home, I swear. <laughs> yep, yep. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us on Finding Your Frequency. It was a great conversation. I had a lot of fun, uh, learned a lot of different things. I want to urge our listeners to uh, go check out your website, uh, which is uh, www.crow.legal.legal. Go check out the website. Uh, and of course, if you guys are, you know, thinking about raising some capital, you need some assistance in that space. Trevor can help you. He's in he's in the Colorado area. And I'm sure that if he can't help you, he knows somebody who can. Right. That's right. Yeah. We feel free to call with anything. Uh, you know, we if we'll be the first ones to tell you if it's not in our wheelhouse and, and we usually know somebody who can help you. Um, and, you know, just I know your your audience is is. Um, Across, across the United States and, and just, you know, we've, we do deals all, there's usually a multi-jurisdictional um, rules that allow trans- attorneys to practice uh, transactional, transactionally in other states. And so we, I mean, we do deals in most, most states. And so if there's anything that comes up that uh, is either raising money or uh, lower mid-market M&A deals, yeah, we'd be, would love to talk to you. 
Awesome. Again, thank you so much for joining us, Trevor. A little get a crowd in there. Woo. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Finding a Frequency right here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Please make sure if you're listening to the show, give us five stars instead of four. Me and me and Trevor, we deserve that, right, Trevor? Five stars. That's right. Yes. Five. Uh, you guys can check us out on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the places where uh, podcasts are at. You can download the Voice America mobile application, whether it be on your Kindle, iPhone, or Android. We're all over the place. Thank you guys again for tuning in to this episode of Finding Your Frequency. And make sure you come back next week right here at 12 o'clock Pacific time to listen to some more right here on Finding a Frequency. Stay tuned. <laughs>